Oh, it's good to be back at Compass. You know, and boy, I dare, don't dare to say this very often whenever I speak, but you are one of one of truly the better churches in America. You really are, from your pastor, the staff down, and uh, even your facility. Oh, I like this facility. It's so easy to function and speak and everything. Tonight, I want you to use your... Mu- Is there a clock out here anywhere? <laughs> All right, 6.30, okay. I, all right, I thought that was the exit sign. <laughs> got it, got it. Once I reached 30, my eyes went, no. Uh, you've got to give me your minds tonight, folks. If you don't, you will miss it. We have about 33 minutes. In that 33 minutes, I want to give you an understanding what is happening in culture. The number one virtue in all history is tolerance. Tolerance has been accepted by more people, believed in by more people, than any other virtue in all history, including freedom, justice. It dwarfs freedom. It dwarfs justice. The issue of tolerance. Dr. Legutko Rizard said there's something sacrosanct about toleration in modern political folklore. Without much exaggeration, it can be said that it is the ultimate and almost the only generally accepted litmus test of morality. You get that, folks? No other single category, not justice, not equality, not even freedom, is one such worldwide moral support in the Western world. Dr. Gustav Menching said, the problem of tolerance has been called one of the great and most urgent challenges now confronting the world. In the book, Ideas, Religious Diversity, and the school said, tolerance may indeed be the dominant theme, that should be theme, of the modern curriculum. Tolerating diversity is a moral glue that holds schools together. The only, boy, this is amazing, the only religious idea worth remembering. You say, well, I thought tolerance was so good. Well, here's the problem, folks. In the last 25 years, there's been a total shift of truth in the meaning of tolerance. That's why, especially if you're, say, 30, 35 and older, and you hear the word tolerance, you're thinking differently than almost always when it's meant politically, religiously, educationally, or culturally is totally different than the way most of you right here think. It's been a shift in our lifetime. Let me show you what I mean. The one that most of us here were raised with when it comes to tolerance was defined by Random House, permissive attitude towards opinions and practices that differ from one's own. Or, as Webster would say, to recognize and respect others' beliefs and practices without sharing them. Or, Webster would put, to bear or put up with someone or something not especially liked. In other words, to overlook, you were being tolerant. To embrace all people, but not all beliefs. Folks, there's been a total shift. This is what tolerance, almost every time you ever hear it, see it in the media or anything, it means this. I call it non-judgmental tolerance. It, uh, Dr. R.M. Hare, the British philosopher, put it this way. Tolerance is a readiness to respect 
or praise other people's ideas as if they were their own. Do you see that shift? Before was to love the person and not accept what they believe. Now tolerance says you must not only accept, but you must praise the other person's values, beliefs, lifestyle, claims to truth as equal to your own or you are intolerant. Or as a scholastic children's dictionary, which changed the name of it, says, the willingness to respect or accept the customs, beliefs, or opinions of others to accept them. Whoa. Or, as Dr. Fernando Sabatier, the Spanish philosopher in his very famous book, The Nation Within Nations, said, tolerance, the doctrine in vogue, is that all opinions are equal. Each one has its point, and each should be respected. That is to say, there's no rational way to decide between them. Do you realize what that is saying? Dr. Stephen Klontz, an educator at Michigan State University, said, too often the day's partisans of freedom immoderately express not only the desire to be left alone, but to choose and practice a private way of life but also the desire to be esteemed in this choice by the community and to even win the applause against the will, so to speak, of the fans. Another was saying, no matter what another opinion is, beliefs, values, whatever else, if you do not applaud those, you are intolerant. Do you see the shift? There's been a total shift in it. Let me show you. What has happened? Tolerance now would be defined this way. All beliefs, all values, all lifestyles, all claims to truth are equal. If you dare to say there's a value of belief, a lifestyle, or a claim to truth greater or lesser than the other, then by definition today that makes you a bigot, meaning you are intolerant. Why? You made a moral judgment. This applied to culture is called what? Anyone. What is tolerance applied to culture? Multiculturalism. Multiculturalism has nothing to do with the color of your skin, ethnic background, or anything. Multiculturalism is tolerance applied to culture, which means all cultural values, all cultural beliefs, all cultural lifestyles, all cultural claims to truth are equal. And if you dare to say there's a cultural value, belief, lifestyle, or claim the truth that's greater or less than the other, then you are anti-multicultural. All is equal. This is the background of diversity. Again, diversity has nothing to do with the color of your skin, ethnic background, or anything. Diversity means with all of our diverse values, with all of our diverse beliefs, with all of our diverse lifestyles, with all of our diverse claims to truth, they are all equal. Diversity philosophically means unanimity, the sameness in the midst of difference. And if you dare to say any diverse value different than yours is lesser or greater than yours, then you are anti-diversity. In other words, what they're saying is there is no universal truth. There is no one truth that is true for all people. Let me show you the implications of this and come right down to, the, to faith. The educational implications. Dr. Caputo 
said the cold hermeneutical truth, hermeneutic, how you discover it, the the cold hermeneutical truth is the truth that there is no truth. No master name which holds things together. In other words, it says with all the particulars, people and everything else, all the diverse philosophy, everything else, there is no overriding philosophy or arch or truth that holds it all together. Therefore, each one has its own value and equal to any others. Dr. Hans Kenner of the University of Texas said, I would like to clarify my position and say that truth ceased to be a relationship and has become a judgment. Now, what does that mean? Almost every one of us in this room have an ethical system that is called the correspondence theory of truth. In other words, does your statement correspond with reality? For example, I make the statement, it is snowing outside. You say, no, it isn't. Now, is your statement true and mine false, or is my statement true and your false? The question is, which statement corresponds with what is, with reality? So we would go outside. And if there's no substance white defined as snow falling from the sky, then my statement was false. Why? It didn't correspond with reality. What Dr. Kenner is saying, that's no longer the issue. It doesn't matter if your statement corresponds reality. The statement is, if you judge it to be true, then it's true. Dr. Edwin Delatre of the Educational Graduate School at Boston University said, today's enlightenment approach involves the elevation of all values and beliefs to a position worthy of equal respect as a result of them. When historians write, they're not recording history They are manufacturing history. Why? Because it doesn't matter if your statement historically corresponds to what happened in history. If you make a judgment that is what is true, then that's true. And no one is to judge you by it, or they're intolerant. Whoa. Hayden White, University of California, said, Truth is produced, not found. In other words, you don't discover truth. You produce truth. And whatever you produce is true, your judgment, and anyone judges that, then they are intolerant and anti-multicultural. How has this affected Education University? Here's a good example. Just get any handbook. Now, I didn't go to the University of Michigan. I found this on, it was discounted at Target. Uh, But in comparative religion and philosophy, read the handbooks. It's incredible. Intolerance previously, one previously studied philosophy and religion to evaluate truth claims. The last handbook I picked up put this. You study comparative philosophy and religion to understand and appreciate different truth claims. Because as soon as you've judge them if it's true or not, then you are intolerant and you are anti-multicultural. The handbooks show that. Here's how some of the spiritual implications of it, folks. Josh Weidman was a student in Columbine when the shootings took place there. He went to another school. And several weeks after that, there was a young man in his class in high school that he shared his faith with. And his friend said this, 
I really respect you, Josh. I respect what you believe, but it's not what I believe. And Josh replied, said, thanks, but this is the truth. Now, folks, this is a basic answer. He replied by saying that it was only my truth, not his truth. So, Josh, who are you to judge me? That my truth is not true. Because all truth is produced, like Dr. Hayden White said. You write it. You create history. You don't record history. At First Baptist Church, Paris, Texas, I arrived to do a big citywide youth uh, festival. And the youth pastor at First Baptist Church came to me. He said, I just had to show you what one of the key students in my group, and her parents are deacons and elders in the church. Her father is, leaders, everything for years. She was asked to write a column in her campus newspaper on what is truth. He said, look what she wrote. And I found out that most of my students would agree with it. This is what she wrote. What is truth? Is it always the same? I don't think so. Truth changes constantly with time. It always varies from person to person from different circumstances. What is true today will not be absolutely true tomorrow. What was truth yesterday is not absolute truth today. Therefore, there is no absolute truth. And the youth pastor said, most of my students in my church would agree with that at First Baptist. Look at the implications ethically. It all comes down to one's personal value system. In the textbook, Economics Today and Tomorrow, it says, quote, Can we say that the growth of government is good or bad? Is there an answer to such a debate? Not really. Why? Listen to this. Because the side that one takes depends on one's values. No right or wrong answers exist when values are at stake. This is taught in almost every high school in America. Because as soon as you question a value, you are intolerant. You made a moral judgment. In the book, Civics for Americans Used in High Schools, when faced with a decision, ask yourself three questions. Number one, what are my alternatives? Number two, what are the likely consequences or outcomes of each alternative? Now notice number three, in almost every textbook you have two to three almost identical in the high schools in America. Number three, which consequences do I prefer? Not which one is right, not which one is best for, no. You make moral choices based on which one do you prefer. Why? Because if you say your choice or your value is lesser or greater than somebody else's, you are intolerant. Why? You made a moral judgment. You said your truth is greater than somebody else's truth. Careful decisions making is choosing the alternative most likely to lead to the outcome you want. Not the one that is right. Not the one that is moral. Not the one that is best for the country, best for the community, best for the school, best for the most people. No. The one you want. In the book World History and Human Experiences says, evaluate both the positive and negative consequences. Then, number two, make a sound decision, how, about which alternative is best for you. At the University of Michigan, I was speaking. And uh, for years, I did three-night series. Last night was on maximum sex. 
rather watered-down title. <laughs> and on that third day, that I was doing it all over the campus. They had black 8.5 by 11 sheets of paper with white print showing through it. Professors handed them out everything. Listen to what it said. Don't listen to Josh and let fundamentalists impose traditional values on you. Live your life as you please and make your own choices. Then why does the University of Michigan ever judge rape? They're intolerant. And professors are handing this out. The professors put it up on the blackboards in their class. At the University of Michigan, that's why I say, probably the most intelligent institutions in America are not universities. You have more bigotry, bias, prejudice in universities than any other segment. And it's all guised under intellectualism and education. Dr. Ron Taffel, Ph.D., I was dashing through the airport like O.J. Simpson used to as he was running away from Las Vegas. And uh, I noticed this, I forget which magazine, it was a parenting magazine, and the title of an article. So I stopped and bought it real fast, and I opened it up, and this is what it said. See if you can see through this. He's a family and marriage counselor. He says, now, it's not my business or anyone else's, for that matter, what you stand for. But it is my job as a family therapist to help families communicate about the issues that mean the most to them. They just justified everything. Sex abuse, everything. Between 6 and 13 years of age, every week for 7 years, I was homosexually raped 4 to 5 times every single week. For for 7 years, my parents wouldn't stop it. Ron Taff will come in and say, well, here's how you can rape your, have your son raped a little easier. He said, I'm not to question family values. I'm to help them communicate and understand what their values are and apply to their family. That your son be homosexually raped for seven years. And Christians say, I'm tolerant. Incredible. Implications legally. Judge Danny Boggs, U.S. Court of Appeals, Sixth Circuit, said, Adherents of all faiths deserve equal rights as citizens. You say, well, well, yeah, that's good. But listen to this. But all faiths are equally valid as religions. That's from animism, humanism, everything. All equally valid. You know what that means? It means this. I believe in Jesus Christ. You believe in Ronald McDonald. Under the law, you have an equal right to hold it. Under tolerance, both beliefs have equal value. The implication spiritually here at Wheaton, Wheaton Bible Church. Former youth pastor has some of his kids and kids from the community together, and he posed a question to him Who is God? <laughs> to his surprise, they said, Their answers were as individuals as kids themselves. One thought God was like a grandfather. He's there, but I never see him. Another took a harder view, describing an evil being who wants to punish me all the time. Two more opinions followed. Finally, the last teen weighed in. I think you are all right, because that's what you really believe. In other words, God is whatever works for you. And the youth pastor of Wheaton Bible Church said, That was the one only conclusion they all agreed on. 
Here's another implication. Style over substance. You say, what do you mean by that? Let me illustrate it. Over 50 years of ministry. Man, when I started ministry, the Dead Sea was only sick. Over 50 years of ministry, I've addressed just young people, over 10 million in live audiences, debate situations, in high schools, universities, free speech and all. And I would always talk and debate and everything about Jesus Christ, the historical evidence for his life and the resurrection. And I would be heckled, which I enjoyed. I used to want to plant people out there to heckle me. But this is how I was heckled for years. Prove it. I don't believe it. It's not true. I was always heckled for the substance of which I was talking about. A few years ago, that totally changed. I haven't been heckled like that in ages. Now it goes like this. How dare you say that? What do you, who do you think you are? You're intolerant. It's no longer the truth of what I say is not the issue. It's what right do you have to say it? Oh, does that come down to Christians on campuses, folks? Total. Now it is style. Or truth is no longer the issue. It's the style by which you present it. Intolerance of intolerance. I said to my son when he was 12 years old, I said, is there anything you're taught in high school, Sean, that is presented as an absolute truth? In other words, it's true for all people in all places at all times. Without hesitation. He said, sure. I said, what is it? He said, tolerance. So let me ask you a question, son. He was 12. I said, have they taught you to be tolerant of the tolerant and given you permission to be intolerant of the intolerant? He said, yeah, Dad. That's exactly what it is. And nobody says anything. Dr. Frederick Hill, the educator, said, it is a mission of public schools not to tolerate intolerance. Don't you get what it's saying? In other words, you have the right to be intolerant of intolerance, but if somebody agrees with you, then you should be tolerant. But if they don't agree with you, then you have permission under tolerance to be intolerant. That's the university, folks. That is the very crux of almost 98% of every single university in America. Let me show you. Some of you remember this. Do you remember the piss? Yeah. Take a piss. The piss Christ. How many of you remember that? Few of you do. What it was, folks, in a museum in New York, this very well-known artist displayed a jar of urine. And in it was submerged a crucifix. And it was labeled tolerance. Why? Why? For this reason. What is the number one symbol in the world of intolerance? Anyone? The cross. It says there's only one way. So if you take a symbol of intolerance and degrade it in urine, then you're being tolerant. But if that same artist would have taken the rainbow of the gay lifestyle, which is the number one symbol of tolerance and degraded it, it would, you'd have been intolerant and shut down. Why? Because you took a symbol of tolerance and degraded it. Or if you take a symbol of intolerance and degrade it, you're being tolerant. 
This why, as a Christian, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me is one of the most stated intolerant statements ever in history. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved. How intolerant can you be? You've eliminated all of the truth. You're saying that your truth is greater than anyone else's truth. Tolerance eliminates justice. If you truly believe in tolerance, you can never claim justice. Now in Micah 6, 8 it says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. But you can't have that under tolerance. Why? Because justice needs a moral basis to discern right from wrong. Under tolerance, there is no right or wrong. And so you can't appeal to justice under tolerance or multiculturalism. You're making a moral judgment. Look at, I was with a Baptist pastor with a 16-year-old daughter who I held within two days of when she was born. It was at a big pastor's conference, and it was at lunch. So I took him out to lunch, and there were pastors packed in this cafe and all. And somehow we got off at tolerance, and his daughter said, I don't think Christians should judge. Christians should never judge. The Bible says, judge not, lest you be judged. You need to be tolerant. I looked at her father. He was just beaming with pride. I couldn't take it. I stood up. It was a table about twice the size of that. I leaned over the table. Everybody was watching me. I leaned over the table. And I said, young lady, do you know what you just did? You just gave up the right to discern the difference between Mother Teresa and Osama bin Laden. Judge not, lest you be judged. You just gave up the right to determine the difference between Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Muhammad Atta. Judge not, lest you be judged. You gave up the right to discern the difference, and many Christians have, between the killing fields of Cambodia and the wheat fields of Kansas. Judge not, lest you be judged. To show you how tolerance has taken over even Christianity, up until about 14 years ago, the number one verse quoted in all the world, in all culture, everything, was what? John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Do you know what it is now? Far out ahead of everything, the number one biblical verse quoted in the world. Judge not, lest you be judged, Matthew 7.1. By Christians. And they don't even take time to know what it means. To judge not, lest you be judged, simply means you never ever judge anyone according to your standard. Because if you do, you will be judged by that same standard. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 1 and 2 and 3. But I have Christians, well, you shouldn't judge the body. I said, wait a minute. All the time Jesus talked about judging. In John 7, 24, he says, judge not according to appearance. Your standard but judge a righteous judgment. I can of myself do nothing as I hear. I judge, and my judgment is a righteous judgment because I seek not my own will by my standard, but the will of him that sent me. In other words, I am to judge, but not by my standard. My standard of judgment is a person, character, and nature of God. It doesn't matter if I judge somebody else that way. We're all going to be judged by that. We are called to judge but not a personal judgment.
a judgment based upon the holy, just, righteous nature of God. And I would say 50% of Christians are given away to tell the difference between Mother Teresa and Muhammad Atta, or Osama bin Laden. Because they go around, well, you shouldn't judge, you should be tolerant. These are Christians, believers, evangelicals. It's incredible. It does, tolerance does away with personal convictions. Wow, did that time go fast? Okay. C.K. Chesterton put it this way. Tolerance is a virtue of a man without convictions. Because see, if you believe in tolerance, how can you have convictions? Because your conviction is saying that your truth is greater than somebody else's truth. That's intolerance. That's anti-multicultural. As Johann Wolfgang von Goethe said, Why did I seek that path so yearningly if I should not share it with my brother? You can't under tolerance. You see, under tolerance, you have the privatization of convictions. There is a pressure to be silent, and every one of you have felt it. There is a pressure to be silent about your convictions that those convictions are offensive to others. I have three minutes. What do we do? Yeah, be tolerant. <laughs> what do we do? Number one, aggressively, I refuse to ever teach my children to be tolerant. I think tolerance is one of the greatest evils ever propagated. One of the great. No, wait, wait. Let me tell you why. You show me what. And all these Christians are running around. Man, in Canada, I think half the population puts tolerance above the Bible. They put multiculturalism. I can't believe it when you go to Canada. But multiculturalism is here and the Bible's here. I say, you show me one place in the Bible where it propagates multiculturalism. Not multicultural. That's the blending of race, ethics, and things. I like that. But when you add the ISM to it, then it changes it. I would never teach my children to live out multiculturalism or tolerance because I would be a derelict father in teaching them evil. You show me one place in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation where it even hints that you should be tolerant. Sure not 1 Corinthians 13. I raise my children to be loving. We're called to love. We're called to love one's enemies. To love those who hate you. To me, anybody can love the lovable. But as a believer, I am called to love the unlovable. I am called literally to love those who hate me. That's how I wanted to raise my children. You see, in love, I'm committed to loving people, not being tolerant of people. Love says accept all people as equal, but do not accept all beliefs as equal. Love says respect all people, but not respect all beliefs. You love all people, you critique all truth claims. All people are equal, but not all values are. So you see the difference there? To love is to attribute value. To tolerate is to patronize a person. I'm offended if somebody tolerates me. That's patronizing. Second, pursue truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Third, embrace all people. All people. But not all beliefs. You embrace the speaker. You do not necessarily embrace the message. You critique the message you love the speaker. Listen and learn from all people, not agree with all people. Fifth, identify with justice. Six, understand your own beliefs. 
so they become convictions. A conviction is knowing what you believe, second, why you believe it, third, experiencing it in your life. And I truly believe it's not a conviction until it's lived out in relationships with others. You haven't really known what a conviction is until you love the unlovely. You love those who hate you. You love those who want to kill you and despise you. And you love them back. I'm going in a situation tomorrow when I leave here, a very delicate situation, where the majority of Christians have hated those who hate them. In the last two years, I've gone into this place and I've loved those that hate us. And I've won favor all the way up through the city council, the mayor, the chief police, everything. Because they said, we've never seen anyone act this way. 